This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, December 12th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. A scourge stalks the land. An evil, a ruddy horde of beferred bros and jingle bell jerks. I speak of SantaCon. This past weekend was New York City's SantaCon. SantaCon, not really a convention. Well, maybe they mean con like Trump University was a con. Now, I remember four or five years ago when SantaCon was much less widespread and oppressive. And I would see people dressed as Santa or elves. And I didn't sense that we were then in the early stages of yet another childhood holiday ruined by adults. See, back then, SantaCon could have gone the way of Halloween. Everyone loves Halloween. It's participatory. It's creative. It's a civic good in New York. The Greenwich Village Halloween Parade is a celebration of difference. SantaCon is none of those things. It's stultifying. It's uniform. Literally, there is a uniform, a Santa uniform. SantaCon didn't go the way of Halloween. It went the way of St. Patrick's Day. I was wondering if I stood alone, if I was being a Grinch. But upon closer inspection, I find that no right-minded American supports these louts. Everyone either A, hates SantaCon, or B, is actually taking part in SantaCon. All you need is an $8 red suit, 15% off at Party City, who I blame. SantaCon, in this way, is like ISIS. You either are part of it or you decry it. There's no middle ground. These Santas, they push out onto the streets, they block traffic, they barf into the gutters, and they bro it up with their other Santa douches and ho-ho-hos. On Brandon, on Braden, on Connor, on Caden, you Fitzy, hey Smitty, what's up Jordy and Jaden? And I'm made to feel like I'm the Grinch for saying so. But them, they're the Grinch, they stole Christmas. SantaCon is over in my city, but according to the SantaCon website, www.holdonguysbuymeasmirnoffice, I'm going to go into the bathroom, the rally, Santa.com, there are upcoming SantaCons in Seattle, Albuquerque, Philadelphia, Montreal, Tokyo, Johannesburg. Fair warning to these cities. You're about to hit DEFCON 1 on SantaCon 4 or 5 or however many layers of eggnog-flavored puke is revealed by the fossil record. I mean, with all the fake news in the world, can't we just spread a rumor that SantaCon's canceled? And then it will be canceled. And then Christmas can go back to being about the children and commercialism and Linus's naive plea about the real meaning of Christmas. I'm looking at you, potential Santa, guy in Philadelphia, guy in Cupertino, California, who might think of participating in this abomination called SantaCon. Don't do it. 
If you've got that Chris Chris Kringle tingle, resist. Run, run, Rudolph the other way. Noel, no peace. On the show today, I will spiel about the blue-collar icon who showed up on a Sunday talk show to tell us that we're all mamby-pamby babies. But first, a look at Rex Tillerson, the man who is likely to be the next Secretary of State. Who is the real Rex Tillerson? Turns out he's more opaque than the oil he peddles. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With the what seems like impending appointment of Rex Tillerson to be Secretary of State, let's examine who this guy is. Not much was known about him, even though he ran one of the world's largest companies. He's not going to say press shy, but I get the impression that people who have covered him and his businesses over the years don't have an excessive amount of access to him. He reportedly is a man of deep personal integrity, a Boy Scout, in fact, an Eagle Scout, certainly a man of business acumen. ExxonMobil is, like I said, one of the biggest companies in the world. And I think in 2006, when he took it over, it was literally the biggest company in America by market capitalization. James Osborne is the Washington energy correspondent of the Houston Chronicle. He has reported on Tillerson for a while. Hello, James. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. So first of all, As a diplomat, as Secretary of State, there is a public relations aspect to Tillerson's job. But as I went over and tried to find the right person to talk to, you've reported uh, on him for a couple publications, yet haven't had too much firsthand interaction. I know Steve Call wrote a book about the business and couldn't actually get one-on-one time scheduled, so he'd kind of ask him questions in a press gaggle. Is he secretive? Is he shy around the press? Yes. I, that's uh, probably most any reporter who's ever covered Tillerson will have had that same interaction that uh, Steve Cole had. Once a year, the an- annual meeting, Rex Tillerson will sit down for a press conference and he will answer questions for about 15, 20 minutes. But for most reporters, that's about as much as you ever get. Whether he's press shy himself or not, it, you know, it's the culture of Exxon you know, I get the sense, though obviously I didn't cover his predecessors, but this is the way things have been done at Exxon for a while. It's a company that sort of is very much stands by the belief that it knows the right way of doing things and, and explaining why a certain decision is made is not ne- to the public is not necessarily a priority. Right. Unlike Steve Jobs, unlike the CEO of General Motors, there's no degree of, you know, selling your product to the public. It's a commodity. People know what gasoline does. So I guess Exxon figures they don't really need their CEOs to serve that role. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's we need gasoline to get to work. Most of us don't care where we buy it from. Yeah. And Rex Tillerson's job is to serve the shareholders, really is to serve the shareholders of Exxon. And, you know, to make sure their dividend stays up and make sure the stock stays up. And that's all that's about is making sure that they keep producing uh, more and more oil and gas. 
Right. But it would seem that that is not a set of skills that maps on to Secretary of State particularly well. I mean, is there any evidence that he will be able to sell the country, sell U.S. policies, glad hand uh, members of the foreign press corps to say nothing of foreign heads of state? You know, do people who know him say, oh, yeah, he's really personable once you get to know him. He's just not asked to do that in his current job. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, that's a big question, right? Because we've never seen, he's never had to do this. He's never had to manage the media. He's been in a position where he doesn't really have to deal with them. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, people who know him, like, uh, you know, I've talked to Ray Hunt, Hunt Oil, the Dallas oil billionaire. He knows Tillerson pretty well. Hunt likes to say that Tillerson used to drive his wife around. She was a it's known in Texas as a barrel racer. She basically, she rides horses around an arena at high speed. And Tillerson would, would actually drive, sort of play a chauffeur to her on the weekends when he was pretty high up at Exxon. Not I don't believe when he was CEO, but prior to that. You know, I think that sort of speaks to the, the way he's sort of viewed amongst his uh, colleagues in, in Texas. I guess my question to you is knowing him as you do, is there reason to think that his close ties to Putin can be seen, you know, half glass full if Again, like I believe that Putin's a dangerous guy on the world stage. Um, Is there anything in the record that maybe shows that he was hesitant to do a deal with Putin or he only did a deal with Putin because he knows that that's his job or he opposed sanctions because, of course, as CEO of Exxon, that cut into his bottom line? You know, any evidence that might indicate that he's not just, uh, you know, ready to be a Putin crony? No, you know, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think Tillerson's friends would say about him if asked a question like that. You know, this is a man who's disciplined and straightforward. And if he's, his task is to be secretary of state, he's going to follow that role. Inevitably, these things sort of conversations come back to with Tillerson is because it's so much been part of his life is this sort of tradition with the Boy Scouts of America. His father was a, you know, was a professional Boy Scout he worked with in the administration organization. Tillerson still lists Eagle Scout on his resume. You know, he was president of the Boy Scouts of America for two years at a time, um, you know, that they were cutting the deal with Russia for uh, the Arctic drilling. So, you know, whatever that means to you, if you, you know, you sort of take the idea that Boy Scouting sort of being serious about being trustworthy and disciplined and, you know, you sort of apply that to Tillerson. Right. So let's talk about um, any glimpse that we can glean from his character with the Boy Scouts. What was his role mm-hmm. in allowing gay scout leaders and, um, and more of an embrace of uh, gays within the Boy Scouts? So when they made that vote, he was the one selected to address the organization, and it was their annual meeting, hundreds of people in the audience. This was a hugely emotional issue for that organization. And Tillerson stood up there, and he uh, got the quote in front of me. He said, so we've made the decision we're going to change. Now what? No winners or losers. After we make the decision to change, it's the mission. His role at Exxon and his role at the Boy Scouts are almost sort of you know very difficult to separate. He, as Steve Cole reported, he famously created this sort of merit badge system at Exxon, where employees who do well are sort of awarded uh, some a pin that's like a merit badge. You know, this is so much part of his life. It's, it's not just his family was in it. He sort of embraced it. Even when he went, he was at the University of Texas in the 70s, you know, the height of the counterculture. This is Austin, you know, there's hippies everywhere. And Tillerson was in a fraternity that was uh, affiliated with the Boy Scouts, and they would... Uh, help disabled students around the campus. They would act as intermediaries between students protesting and police to make sure that nobody got hurt. This is sort of Tillerson's life the whole way. He's always been known as sort of a very serious, very conscientious uh, man. Anyone who's encountered him at any point in his life, they all seem to be able to agree on that. 
It's, it's just his seriousness and his, and his discipline. Well, no, it just seems, I mean, the opacity of this guy uh, for this huge position. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are trying to orient themselves and to figure out who he is, but we don't really know who he is. And we're probably not going to be able to figure it out via a uh, Senate uh, hearing. No, I mean, he's done Senate hearings before and he knows how to handle himself in a Senate hearing. So, no, I don't imagine you will. I mean, there's a very short list of people who probably do know Tillerson very well you know, outside of his role as this sort of, you know, titan of industry. What's Tillerson's record on climate change? Yeah, this is interesting. This is where he does differ very much from Lee Raymond. Lee Raymond famously, you know, questions the science behind climate change while CEO and the Exxon supported uh, organizations that were working to uh, discredit, you know, climate change research back in the 90s. Uh, Tillerson, since coming on, has taken a very different tack. You know, he acknowledges uh, climate cha- man-made climate change is happening. He, he raises the specter of, well, what good is saving the planet if humanity suffers? And by that, he means, in his mind, a world without oil is a world significantly less developed. You know, it, it doesn't allow the sort of social mobility that we currently enjoy in society. If we, if we went to all wind and solar, we'd be living in some sort of Dickensian sort of semi-dark world without all the luxuries we enjoy today. It sort of puts him in a sort of semi-humanitarian role, and I, he's trying to present the argument in a, in a more acceptable way than the, the way his predecessor handled it, which, you know, drew a lot of anger. And, you know, where he stands is difficult to say, but he very much wants to present a different public persona than his predecessor's. One of the things I remember most about Tillerson, uh, I was at a shareholder meeting a few years back. Tillerson, you know, comes through, he does 15 minutes where he walks through and shakes shareholders' hands and, you know, chats and smiles. And an activist from Greenpeace uh, got in. They uh, probably bought some shares in the company to get access and uh, walked right up to Tillerson and said, you know, how can you condone hydraulic fracturing considering, you know, all the, the pollution that's gone on? And Tillerson very politely didn't break a sweat, didn't break a, his smile, stayed and said, um, you know, there's some bad actors out there, but we at Exxon um, do things the right way. And, and the woman sort of listened and they had a brief conversation and she walked off and I followed her and talked to her and she said, well, you know, say what you will about him, but he's certainly polite. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's Tillerson's reputation amongst those, amongst yep. those who know him. Right. Uh, And that's diplomatic. And yet where the rubber meets the road, Exxon has been fighting these investigations into climate change. Different states are looking if uh, Exxon changed or sat on information. And of course, the CEO, what's he going to get? What's he going to just acquiesce to attorney attorneys general and expose his company? I suppose not. But he's been pretty active in trying to fight back against this effort to investigate where Exxon was years ago uh, in terms of climate change, uh, monkeying with the science. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they'll make the argument that, you know, that our actions of the past were made at a very different time and a time of different amount of knowledge, which there is truth to. Tillerson's va- facing climate change challenge on a variety of fronts. There's the state attorney general, as you mentioned, the SEC is looking into how they're reporting to their shareholders on the risk that climate change poses to their business. You know, it's just coming at them from all sides. It is oil companies in general. You know, it's interesting with Tillerson, you know, I mean, this it was, Exxon was going around to Capitol Hill in Washington this year, offering their support for a carbon tax, 
which even most Democrats don't even think is any way sort of, you know, there's, there's no way this is going to happen anytime soon. But they're, they're putting their, their support behind it. The question with that has always been is that, you know, how much of that is uh, a sort of a public relations effort and how much of it is real, like how much, how much capital Exxon is really willing to put behind getting a carbon tax passed. But in, in Tillerson's mind, a carbon tax is the sort of fairest and most uh, equitable way to uh, control carbon emissions as opposed to something that was, you know, specifically designed against, you know, gasoline and cars or, or power plants. It's better just to do one general rule for a catch-all for everything. Um, so no one industry is advantaged or disadvantaged, that they're all playing on the same field. James Osborne is the Washington energy correspondent for the Houston Chronicle. Thank you so much, James. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel of all the varieties of media self-flagellation post-election 2016. The one I thought we'd work through our system was the idea that elite media didn't sufficiently examine those disaffected blue-collar voters. Since members of the media aren't former machinists, they're not non-college-educated, one-time factory workers, they don't live in the Mahoning Valley, we couldn't possibly understand them. And yet, I watch news out of Syria, the media doesn't live in Aleppo, they're not Kurds, they're not trapped by Bashir al-Assad's forces about to be attacked by barrel bombs, yet they understand what's going on there. The media sometimes reports on movie stars, but they're not movie stars. The financial press covers hedge funds without being a Wall Street trader. I've seen childless male members of the media report on soccer moms, and I've heard female members of the media who rely on mass transit report on NASCAR dads. But when it comes to blue-collar workers... The media can't possibly report on them accurately. Knowing this, Chuck Todd, moderator of Meet the Press, invited a real man on. A man who worked with his real man hands. And Chuck didn't even ask that real man to dress up in a monkey suit like the other members of the panel of experts whose backs are weak and shoulders are sloped. Mike Rowe, welcome to Meet the Press. Thanks for having me at the grown-up table. Well, there you go. And thanks for not posing. Being a poser here, you're in what we all want to see you in. No tie. All my suits are rubber, so I figured I'd go with this. (laughs) Ah, Mike Rowe, blue-collar guy. Got his start as an opera singer, then a QVC host, then a Discovery Channel host, and now a paid spokesman for Lee Jeans, Ford F-150s, Caterpillar Construction, and Viva Paper Towels. In other words, just a typical blue-collar American, literally allowed to wear his blue collar. Because he's not playing a character or anything, this millionaire TV star, just like that other blue-collar spokesman who also appeared without a suit on Meet the Press, Michael Moore. As with Michael Moore, Meet the Press turned to a media-made millionaire for the down and dirty. We always focus on job retraining, and it's always about computers. It's always about, uh, when there's skill layers, it's always about engineering and different things. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it's almost as if we're saying, no, those other jobs, they're, they're, they're going away, and it's okay that they go away. Well, some people want to touch things. People ask me all the time, you know, what's the, what's the big takeaway from that show? You know, and, and there were many, but the, for me, the thing I keep coming back to is the idea that as a group, there was a level of job satisfaction that, uh, was undeniable and surprising. And it has to do with the ability to complete a task. An honest day's pay for an honest day's work. And as you know, the only people who complete a task and feel proud about it are people on an assembly line. A home health care aide? 
How can that person feel accomplishment? A civil servant, a teacher, a fireman, a doctor? What accomplishment can they possibly feel? Even working in, God forbid, a service industry job. There's no feeling of satisfaction that could possibly come with helping a customer or addressing the needs of a client. It's impossible. So the panel rang in with endorsements of dirty jobs, of manual labor. Here's Doris Kearns Goodwin. Yeah, I think what you showed a certain way was that there's dignity that these people feel toward their jobs. Job is much more than just how you pay your bills and what you're doing for your family and what kid can go to college. It's what you feel when you go to work every day. Yeah. A job is more than how you pay the bills. Except these days, many jobs, even dirty jobs, aren't able to pay the bills. It seems to me hard for a job to represent dignity and accomplishment if it barely pays. And here's my point. When we talk about jobs and the aura of jobs in the abstract, it's usually a less solid, less provable, and I'll say it more dishonest conversation than when we acknowledge the fact that people do jobs for money and much of the worth of a job isn't psychic, but actual literal worth, the worth it confers on people doing the job in their bank accounts. I do think that there are people who like manual labor, and that is great for them. It's pretty easy to like manual labor that pays $35 an hour, and it's easy to value that more than a service job that pays $15 an hour. Let's take a machinist husband and his healthcare worker wife. They would probably have an inverse opinion about the intrinsic worth of their labor if she was being paid $30 in the nursing home and he was being paid $14 on the assembly line. And do you know what word never came up in this entire discussion valorizing the men who aren't afraid to get dirty? Unions. I'm not an unequivocal fan of all unions do. They have their flaws, sometimes lots of flaws. But to have an entire discussion around manufacturing and manly work and manual labor, and to pretend that its appeal is rooted in the psychological, not the actual union one wage to me is insane. It's like talking about the worth of working for Goldman Sachs without acknowledging people do it because it makes them a lot of money. I like Mike Rowe. I think he's a skilled TV presenter. I think he thinks about real world issues more than I am led to believe the host of The Bachelor thinks about real world issues. Mike Rowe has some valuable things to say about blue collar work, some valuable on brand things that extend his image into the news space. But he and Michael Moore and Joe the Plumber and Larry the Cable Guy are engaged in performative blue collarism. This all elevates the mushy idea of prizing the blue collar via words or attitudes, and it doesn't care about the economics of actually valuing blue collar work with actual pay. All the people telling you how much they value the worker, those people are getting paid because they know the definition of their worth isn't the good feeling they get. It's also about the check that they can deposit in their savings account. Sorry, but Republicans are pulling a bait and switch on the blue collared. If you think they value blue collar workers so much, check out what they're doing in state houses and via the governor's veto with right to work laws and card checks. That shows what their real values are. And Democrats aren't doing anything to fight this. They're not even doing anything to articulate what the other side of the argument is. The Republicans are saying, we'll gut the unions, but we'll compliment the workers even as we guarantee that their lives will be worse. The Democrats are saying, we won't even mount a consistent counter-narrative. And so what you get is an entire panel of top journalists and Pulitzer Prize winners so ensorcelled by Mike Rowe that they won't even think to utter the word union. 
Meet the Press says we'll book famous millionaires to play blue-collar champions and we'll beat ourselves up for not being manly like they are. And that's the real dirty job. That's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson is not an Eagle Scout, but you know who was? Michael Bloomberg, Rob Corddry, and John Tesh. Chris Berube, producer, also not an Eagle Scout. You know who was? Manti Teo and Marion Barry. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcast, not an Eagle Scout. But you know who was? Halderman, Ehrlichman, Rumsfeld, McNamara, Gerald Ford. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, not an Eagle Scout. But you know who was? Charles Whitman and L. Ron Hubbard. The gist. You know who was an Eagle Scout? Michael Moore. That's a callback. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.